Would you bow with me? Bow your heads, close your eyes. And in the quietness of your heart, would you just give whatever is on your mind right now, would you just give that to the Lord? It might be that you're here and you're not even really sure what you believe. That's okay. I would like to ask you to just take that leap of faith and just say, Lord, I want to hear from you. And no matter what you've gone through, no matter what it took to get you here this morning, or even if you're listening on the radio or the internet or something like that, just take a moment and say, Lord, I want to hear from you. What do you want to say? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, through your spirit, through your word, that it would be you who speaks and it would be us who listen and that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would show your power, that you do something beautiful in us and through us. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this week and last week are, are most likely our last, our last times talking about beloved in 1 John. We're going to finish it up next week, Lord willing. We've been talking this whole time about beloved and this book of 1 John, and we've gone through each and every verse, each and every passage, and we've looked. And John is writing to dear friends. He's writing to, he calls them little children. He calls them beloved over and over again because this was his family. These were the people that were most precious to him. And so he's writing to people of varied levels of maturity in the church. And he's writing to people for two primary reasons. Reason number one is so that they can be protected from false teaching. So that they can know for sure what is the truth and what is false. And then he's also writing for them to, to deepen their spiritual community with one another. He's wanting them to, to enter into more of a fellowship in that koinonia. We talked about that word. And if you're wondering what that means, then go, go online, research it, go back a few weeks, and you could actually listen to that message online. But this morning, we want to talk about returning to square one. This is toward the end of the passage. This is chapter 5 of 1 John is what we're going to look at today. And John, as he's winding things down, he takes things back to the starting point for these people. And it's not like he's, he's saying, okay, we got to start over, complete redo, we're hitting the reset button. No, it's more of a reminder. He's taking them back to remind them what the starting point is in our, in our walk with God. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Would you look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 with me? Would you do that? He starts out reading... He starts out and he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Now I love this. He says, everyone who believes. And that word there is a very important word. It's, it's a word we also see later on. It's, it's faith. And so there, it's the same word in Greek. There's a verb form and a noun form. The verb form is to believe the noun form is faith, but it's the same word, and it's a word that means uh, persuasion. 
It's a word that means reliance upon. It's a word that in that culture and in that context, they understood it to mean something that begins on the inside and, and lives out. Okay, we're going to look at more at that later in a minute. But it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has become a, a child of God. Faith, it, it changes our spiritual DNA. We, I, I love the song that we just sang, your blood flows through my veins. That sounds kind of weird, right? But when we are a child of God, our DNA has changed. Spiritually speaking, we are now his children. And he says this, everyone who loves the father loves his children too. And we know that God's children, we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. So here's, have you ever like had kids? And any parent knows this. One of the quickest ways to, to anger me as a dad is when my kids bicker and fight. Have you ever noticed that? I, it, that's how it is with me. And if, if I'm driving in the van and my kids are in the back and, you know, I hear Ellie say, Raiden's touching me. No, I'm not. I'm not touching. And if I hear that, the bear comes out. I'm like, you kids, I'm going to pull this car over and I'm going to spank every one of you. And I, you know, I don't think I've ever pulled the car over. But it's just something that happens. And, and when our, our children fight, it upsets us as fathers and mothers, right? It's the same for God. When he sees us attacking one another, attacking other believers, that's a big problem for God. You know, the Bible talks about unity, and there's an actual doctrine of unity in the New Testament. And we need to love one another. And in fact, those who are born of God love his children too. In the U.S., in our culture, it wouldn't be, I mean, it would be mean to say it, but you could say something like, you know, hey, Phil, I really like you, but I can't stand your kids. Right? And, and people might say something like that. But in an Eastern culture, the kids are an extension of the family. And to say that you like the parents but don't like the kids, there's no way you can do that. Because it's one unit. And so if we love God, there's no way we can love God and not love his children. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what he's saying here. So let's look at the next verse, verse 3. We know, actually verse 2, we know we love God's children if we love and obey God's commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Loving God means keeping his commandments. Now Jesus said over and over again, he said this all the time. If you love me, you'll obey me. John 14, 15, Jesus says this. And we see this all the time in Jesus' teachings. In the Sermon on the Mount, towards the end, Jesus tells the story of the man who built his house on the sand. You remember that? And the man who built his house on a rock. And Jesus said, those who hear my words and don't practice them are like somebody building their life on sand. But those who hear my words and apply them 
and obey them. They're like somebody who builds their house on the rock. So Jesus, this is consistent with all of his teaching, but if we love God, we will obey him. James 1.22, I say this over and over again, but the command is to be doers of God's word and not just hearers only. For whoever hears but doesn't do is deceiving himself. And I love that it says God, his commandments are not burdensome. Burdensome. Say that with me. Burdensome. That's not, that's not a word we often say. Oh, this work is so burdensome. The life God has for us is a life that if we do it his way, it gets better. It gets easier. The more we do it our way, the more strife, the more fear, the more pain, the more discouragement we meet. Isn't that amazing? To obey God, to to honor and live according to his commandments is the way to true life. And it's not God trying to be a punk. It's not God saying, it's my way or the highway. It's God saying, I'm the only life that's out there. There's no life apart from me. I'm the way of life. Every other way is death. Do you understand? The only way to have life and to have that freedom is to obey God and to live his way. So his commands are not burdensome. And I love these two, these two verses here, verse four or five, look with me. For every child of God defeats this evil world. That's a reference back to, to chapter two, verses 15 through 17. You remember how he says, love not the world? Do you remember that? It's also talking about John 16, 33, where Jesus said, in this world you have many trials, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you remember that? This is Jesus, and he's talking, and, and John is talking about Jesus in his power, and he says, every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood and the Spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. And since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son, and all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. That word testimony or testify is, is the word, uh, uh, let me see if I can pronounce this correctly, martyria, where we get the word martyr from. But in the context, in the culture, that word martyria was used in a courtroom. It was used as presenting evidence. I was on a jury a few months ago. And guess what we had to do? We sat through and heard both sides offer evidence, and they had testimonies. God testified about his son, and he used three powerful things to testify. And honestly, this, this passage here, 6 through 11, um, is, is really a lot of people have written a lot of commentaries, and there's a lot of different opinions, and even a lot of different translations that say a lot of different things about what this means, the water, the blood, and the spirit. Can I just say my take on it? 
The water, I believe, is referring to Jesus' baptism. Baptism is kind of a weird thing because you don't see it a lot in the Old Testament. But all of a sudden, baptism is on the scene when John the Baptist is there in the first part of the Gospels. Where did this come from? Why is this there? Well, in the Jewish religion, they had a lot of ritualistic washings and cleansings. And, and, and have you guys heard of the, the, the Qumran Jews? Anybody? Nobody? You've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Have you heard of those? These are the guys that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls and preserved them and hid them in a cave in Qumran. They're called the Qumran Texts. And the Qumran believers were people who, in ancient Judaism, they responded powerfully to Isaiah 40 when it says the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. They felt this was their calling to be the voice in the wilderness. And so they went and they lived in the wilderness. They lived in the caves. And they took this really seriously. And one of the things they started doing was baptizing and cleansing. They would do it as a way to symbolize the cleansing of their sin as a purification and a repentance. There are many historians that believe that John the Baptist was also part of this sect of Qumran Jews. Because he lived in the wilderness. He wore you know, uh, furs and looked kind of like a crazy man, didn't live normally, and he ate honey and grasshoppers or locusts. And he was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that's how he did it, with water baptism. And when Jesus was baptized, he came to John and John said, hey, I'm not worthy to do this. But Jesus said, this must be done to fulfill all righteousness. And what he's saying is, I need to do this to identify with sinners. To identify with the purification. This is my launching pad, is what Jesus was saying. And so he was baptized, he went down into the water, and he came up out of the water. And there was a voice that said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God, the water, the blood, and the Spirit came down and rested on Jesus. And that was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. From there, he was taken into the wilderness, and from the wilderness, his ministry began. Are you following with me? This is the water that he's talking about. This was a powerful testimony that there's something special about Jesus. There's something important about him. The water was a testimony. The Spirit The Spirit of God was not just in the the baptism, but throughout his whole ministry, the miracles and miraculous signs were God testifying, this is my special one. This is my anointed one. This is my Messiah. Listen to him. And then the blood. The blood, which we, we talked about last week, was a symbol all through the Old Testament. Blood is a very important thing in the Jewish rituals and the Jewish worship, and their forms of worship, but all of it was a sign pointing to Jesus. And so we have these three testimonies, these three ways that God has said, this is the one, listen to him. The water, the blood, and the spirit. And when we have faith, when we believe that, yes, God, what you said is true, Jesus is the one, he is the Messiah. When we believe that, through faith, we are fused into that testimony. 
Isn't that interesting? We are melded or welded or whatever else can powerfully join something together. We are fused into that testimony saying, the water, that's why we still are baptized, right? That's us identifying with Jesus in that testimony. And then there's the Spirit of God, which for the early church, that was the most important thing, is where's the Spirit of God in this person's life? That was the seal. That was what showed that this is for real. This is something God is doing, is the Spirit of God. And then the blood. That's what washes us pure. We're joining God in all of those things through faith. And when we say no, it's calling God a liar is what he says. When we look at those things and we say, well, you know what, I just don't buy it, it's calling God a liar. So, this is heavy stuff, and I, I, I love, you know, can I just go on for a second here, and then we'll do something kind of fun? I hope it'll be fun. Um, anyhow, not that this isn't fun, I'm having fun right now, those who actually, who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. If we can listen to human witnesses, is what he's saying, how much more should we listen to God's testimony? And this is what God has testified. Verse 11. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. All about Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Now, in your little uh, sheets here, if you're paying attention, if you're writing in these, the first, the first thing we want to point out is that faith is the starting point for life in God. It's the starting point for life in God. It's, it's what changes our spiritual DNA. It, it's what allows us to love to, to receive God's love and to give God's love, that all starts with faith. Faith is what allows us to obey and experience the freedom that obeying God gives. Faith is what, what gives us victory over the world. I want to ask you guys, what is faith? What is faith? Is anybody hungry? Anybody at all? You're like all like, oh no, what's going to happen? <laughs> Anybody hungry? I'm looking for a volunteer. Is there somebody who's, who's hungry? Yeah, okay, Michael, I see you over there. Come on up, buddy. All right? All right, this is a good friend of mine, Mike. Michael. Now, I don't know about you, but I always, my whole life long, have gotten hungry in church. Anybody can relate to that? No? Yes? No? Come on up here, Michael. All right. Welcome, man. Welcome to Crosspoint. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to have to blindfold you, though. Michael, you've known me for a couple years now, right? He said yes, for the record. Let the record show. We're friends. Do you trust me? Oh, yeah. Um, do you have any food allergies? Like, you know, you know, you allergic to any fruit or any uh, nuts? Nope. What about reptiles? <laughs> allergic to reptiles. Okay, so I want to I want to feed you something. Okay, but what I need you to do is you can't look at this. All right, 
Now this is what I'm going to be feeding him, but he can't see. Would anybody else like one of these? No? Okay. All right. Now, do you believe what I'm going to put in your mouth is going to be good? You don't? <laughs> but you, you know me. Yeah. <laughs> what if I were to promise you this is going to be good, it's going to be something that you like? Would you believe me then? Probably not. Okay. Here's the deal. I'm going to give you something really good, but I need you to open your mouth. Are you willing to do that, yes or no? Sure. Okay. Open your mouth, my friend. All right, go ahead. Chow down. How's it taste? Good. Good? All right, good. Let's give him a hand. That was, that was awesome. Good job. <laughs> Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, what? Well, first of all, how many of you would have done that? You know, I wanted to give us a visual because this is really important. A lot of us, we throw this word faith around, but do you know what faith actually means? This is, once again, the Ben Sprague definition. You're not going to find this in any commentary or anything. Faith, it's the second thing on your outline. Faith is accepting as reality something that I cannot see. Accepting as reality something that I cannot see. You see, we, we use the word believe, we use the word faith, but in our Western mindset, in our culture, faith is something that we can simply kind of believe in but never actually have to follow through in respect to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Faith is something that is so much bigger than that. The word for faith in Scripture is always about something that begins inside and must come out. It must be lived out. You see, Michael was here, and he had an opportunity. He had a choice of faith, right? He could have said, no, I don't want to do it. Would that have been faith? What if he had said, yes, I believe you, Ben. You're going to give me something good to eat, but he wouldn't open his mouth. Would that have been faith? Faith is a belief so real that it changes you. You must act. If you really believed that there was an anvil falling through the sky right now, at this exact location, it was going to fall through the roof and it's going to smash you, what would you do? If you really believed it, what would you do? You'd get up and, and move to a different chair, right? Faith is a belief that's so real that it changes you. That's the idea, is faith is, is powerful, it's important, and it must be lived out. It affects our physical world. Faith melds the spiritual and the physical. We hear from God through faith, and we respond to God through faith. Do you understand? This is important that we understand. Because there's a lot of people, a lot of false teaching, a lot of people that say, you know, just say a prayer and then you'll, you'll be good. But this is about a life of faith. And he's talking about those who believe, those who rely on, those who are persuaded by, those who have been said, you know what, I buy it and so I'm going to take action. I believe it and so I'm going to follow through. That's what faith is. It's a belief so real that it changes you. It's accepting as reality something that I cannot see. 
That is what I would like you to understand faith as. Now let's take this a step further. Hebrews 11 is one of the, it's the hall of faith passage. Hebrews 11 actually talks about faith, and it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. There's that again. It's accepting as reality something that you cannot see. And it says a few verses later, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. If you don't have faith, your good deeds don't mean a thing. It's impossible to please God except through faith because he who comes to God must believe two things, must act on two things. Do you remember this verse? First, we have to believe that God exists. Okay? It's easy enough for some people. Second, we have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you believe that? That's what faith is. You believe that God is real and that as you seek him, as you obey him, he will reward your life. That is the testimony that we're talking about. God's ways are not burdensome. He doesn't bury us with commands. He sets us free with his commands. And this life of faith is something so vital and so important that if we miss it, we miss it all. This is square one. This is why he's taking us back to square one. And he's saying, don't miss this. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. By faith, we join Christ in his victory. And I love the last two verses. Could we just take a quick minute in closing and look there? Here it says, verse 11 and 12, and this is what God has testified. This is God's evidence. This is what it's pointing to, that he has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. That Greek word is zoe, that word for life. And, and a lot of words in Greek are kind of like a, uh, a Swiss army knife, you know? How they have many different uses, and they're used in a lot of different ways. We in English, we typically have like, our words are like a butter knife. They have kind of one major use, you know, and we have a word for this and a word for that. In Greek, they would kind of use these words in a lot of different connotations, and one of the uses of this word zoe is life, meaning abundance of life, meaning life that is full, nothing broken, nothing missing. It's, it's a reference back to John 10, 10, when Jesus said, I have come so that you can have life and have it to the full. The thief comes to steal and, steal and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life. He's talking about abundant life, not just breathing in air. He's talking about being alive, waking up in the morning and being excited for all that God is going to do. It's, it's a life of hope, a life of joy. That's what faith gives us. And it says, whoever has a son, in verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. So the last point in your outline, what does your life show about your faith? 
And that's a question I want us to consider. I want us to think that through. What does, let's look at, at your life. Let's look at my life. Let's evaluate and be honest before God. What do the facts say? What does my life show about my faith? You see, he's saying here, he's using that connotation of zoe that means abundance. Whoever has the sun has life. You get it all. Whoever does not have this son does not have life. What does our life show about our faith? Yesterday, how'd I do? Let me look at that and evaluate my Saturday. How many times did I complain? Was my life marked by life? Or was I just getting through my tasks? Was I just getting through? You see, if you're just getting through life, I'm saying, and John is saying, that you've missed out. There's something you're missing. You see, whoever has the Son, that means anyone who has the Son has life. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Whoever has the Son has life. Do you guys remember the legend? It's, it's a story I think you've all heard. Even Nicholas Sparks wrote in one of his more recent books about this legend. It's a story of a, a wealthy art collector around the World War I era. I know you guys have heard this before. I heard this several times growing up in this very church. And uh, there's a story of this wealthy art collector. that He and his wife only had one son. And they loved this son, and he had all of this, this art and all of this wealth, but he had one son, and this one son went off to war, and the son was killed in war. And have you heard this story before? You're like, I don't know, finish the story and I'll tell you. Okay, I will. The son was killed in war. And when the father heard this, he he had a painting of his son. And that was before the, the times of a lot of photographs and all, you know, there's certainly no video or anything like that, but he had this portrait of his son. And that became his most prized, most important possession. Later, years later, when he passed on, they had this huge auction. Do you remember this story now? They had this huge auction and Many people came because he had works from Van Gogh, Da Vinci, all of these different things. And this is a legend. I'm not sure how true it is or, or what, but that's what the legend says. But the first item that they auctioned off was the portrait of this man's son. It was not by a famous master. It was, it was just a portrait of his son. And they auctioned it off. It was an awkward moment. Nobody really wanted it. They wanted to get to the good stuff. And then finally somebody in the back, I think it was, you know, the legend says it was like a gardener or a housekeeper of some sort or something, saw that picture of the son and wanted to just have something to remember him by. And so he bought it for just a few dollars. And then the auctioneer and the lawyers, they said, okay, that's it. That, that was it. Because it's stipulated in his will, the rich man's will, 
that whoever gets the son gets it all. Have you heard that story before? Whoever gets the son gets it all. It's through faith that we have Jesus. And it's through faith that we realize what that means. Do you realize that no matter what disaster, no matter what hardship, no matter what you face, you get the sun? You get it all because of Jesus? Because of what he paid for you and me? You know, this last week, actually last, last 10 days or so, Nicole and I, we just got hammered with some tough life sort of things. Some, some things that are challenges. Some things that when they, you know, when we, we saw them, we were thinking, I have no idea how we're going to get through this. I have no idea how we're going to overcome this. And I was talking to Cole a few days Don't know what just happened with that, sorry. I was talking to my wife a couple days ago and it, it dawned on me. Why has it been such a rough week? Why have we had so many setbacks? And I realized, oh, it's because I'm speaking on faith. God is saying, he's holding the mirror up in front of my eyes and he's saying, where is your faith? This is something I need to repent in. I, I need more faith. I need to go back to square one and just say, what do I believe? Do I actually believe that the Son of God came and entered my pit and he took upon himself my sin and your sin, all of our sin, he took it on himself and my sin was nailed through his hands to the cross so that I don't have to pay the price. I could never pay that debt. And he paid that for me. Do I really believe that I will live for him and with him for all eternity? Do I really believe that whoever gets the son gets it all? Do I really believe that I have it all? Because I have him. If God's working in your life, if he wants, if he's doing something, I would love for you to come forward and just kneel at this altar. And the reason why is because faith isn't supposed to stay in here. Faith is a, a belief that's so real, it changes us, it moves us. We must act. We've got to follow through. That's why we have these opportunities for you to come and do business with God. It's not that we are keeping statistics or anything like that. This is just an opportunity for all of us to, to put action to what our faith is saying, to live it out. And I know it's weird, I know it's rough, but honestly, it's those moments where I take action, when I bow down or when I raise my hands, that, that God blesses me with a deeper understanding and a deeper relationship with him. It's when I follow through that he gives me more of himself. So if you need prayer, we've got Jim, we've got Tina over here. If you're a, a, a man or a woman, if, if you just need prayer about something, go meet with them. They would love to pray with you. Or if you just need to do business with God, if there's something in your life where God is saying, you need to 
you need to come back. You need to repent in this way. Or maybe you're like me. You just realize that your life, honestly, it shows that there's some faith building that needs to take place. Then this time is for you. Would you stand?